Hi, my name is Amani, and you're listening to Raise Your Words. On this podcast, I will be talking to authors, influencers, and friends about books, movies, and shows, and get their input on what they think about it. I will also be talking a lot about pop culture references, as well as interviewing authors like Priyanka Taslim, who is the author of The Love Match, interviewing Anika Sharma, who I have already interviewed in season one. And in season two, I have a lot of very exciting guests that I am thrilled to bring on the show, on the podcast that you're listening to right now. Stay tuned for more. So this episode is very different from my other episodes, and I have also done an episode back in season one talking about Gaza and Palestine. This is very different because I'm actually interviewing a Palestinian-American by the name of Dr. Abdul Basit Abdullah, so please stay tuned and listen until the very end because we talk a lot about charities that you should donate to as well as how to help the people of Gaza. I also wanted to ask, can you please give um, a little bit, can you please tell a little bit about the history of Palestine for my listeners who might not know? Yeah, well, uh, a lot of people nowadays think that hostilities and the problem started on October 7th. which is basically a month or so, but you know, people think it, it started then. The problem actually started way longer than that. Uh, 75 years ago, uh, that's when the Palestinians uh, lost their land and homes and towns and livelihood and farms. Um, when Israel was created, they were made uh, refugees in either in their own country or in other countries. So a lot of uh, Palestinian refugees live in Lebanon, in Syria, in Jordan, and in other places. Uh, But also within uh, the boundaries of Palestine, you have refugees who live in the West Bank and they live in Gaza Strip. So the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, they were both part or parts of uh, historic Palestine. They were never independent. But then when Israel was created, uh, those two areas, uh, the West Bank, which is uh, bordering Jordan, and uh, the Gaza Strip, which is bordering uh, Egypt, uh, those were made as sort of like an enclaves uh, where uh, a lot of refugees were forced into them. Uh, you know, a lot of refugees from the historic Palestine area were, were forced into them. And uh, then... Uh, the border was closed. That was 1948 between uh, the West Bank and the rest of Palestine, the Gaza Strip and the rest of Palestine. In 1967, Israel took control of those two areas and uh, then they became occupied territories. And that's how the United Nations refers to them. They refer to uh, the West Bank, including East Jerusalem and the Gaza Strip as occupied territories. Um, so what we're seeing now are 
problems going back to the creation of Israel because when Israel was created, as I said, uh, a lot of people lost their land and livelihood and now and were made uh, into refugees. So that wrong was never correct. Uh, 74, for example, 75% of the, of the people who live in Gaza Strip are refugees who actually were pushed out of their homes from outside uh, Gaza Strip from uh, historic Palestine. Now, um, so, so yeah, so people uh, would need to pay attention to that. And uh, since 1967, these people have been living under occupation, the Israeli occupation, it's military occupation. So uh, there are a lot of restrictions on people's movement and, and life in general. And that has uh, created a lot of uh, instability, uh, hostility, and anger. So again, people need pay attention to this. This is history. Obviously, what I just said is a very short overview of the history of the conflict, but it, I hope it just gives them um, an answer, uh, uh, some uh, understanding. Now, the other thing is that the West Bank has a lot of Israeli settlements where Israelis came uh, small villages and towns uh, on the land of the Palestinians. And um, then they kind of divided the West Bank into so many small segments because, uh, you know, if a settlement is in one area, then there has to be a safe passage for the people who live in there. And that will kind of like cut off, uh, you know, the, you know, the rest of the West Bank uh, from the other side, um, uh, the one on one side of the settlement to the other side of the settlement. Um, so that, uh, you know, uh, there's a big portion of the West Bank that is settlements. And, um, uh, you know, it's not clear uh, what is going to happen with those because with the settlements in place, you can't really have a viable life in the West Bank. Uh, Gaza is a, a little bit a different story. At this point, it does not have settlements inside, but it's it's um, completely cut off from the outside world by an Israeli siege and blockade. Um, so that makes the movement in and out uh, very difficult. There is no also free movement between the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, and same thing with Jerusalem. So, uh, you know, uh, West Bank is by itself, Jerusalem is by itself, and the Gaza Strip, Gaza Strip is uh, by itself. Um, now, obviously, with the recent uh, uh, hostilities that are taking place, uh, Israel now is inside Gaza with its army, and we really don't know what is going to happen in the next. Okay, it's telling us that we need to log out and come back in. So, inshallah, I will end the meeting and then um, get back in so we can uh, okay. continue, I'll, inshallah. I'll do, I'll do the same. Sounds good. Thank you. Okay. So, I grew up in Palestine, the Gaza Strip, as I mentioned. No, maybe, maybe I shouldn't say that because I don't know when you're going to play this. So, uh, let me just start again. 
right? Tell me when to start again. You can start. So I grew up in Palestine, the Gaza Strip, and I lived I lived 19 years uh, under the Israeli occupation. Uh, during that time, I finished high school, and then after that, I came to the United States to do my college education. I went to Ohio, uh, Ohio University. That's where I studied. I did my undergrad, then I did a master's degree, and I did a PhD after that. Uh, I stayed about uh, 17 years in Ohio. And uh, during that time, I got married and uh, I finished my education. I worked at the university. And uh, my wife and I had three children there. And then after 17 years in Ohio, we moved to New Jersey and we've been here for 20 years. Uh, my children grew up uh, mainly in New Jersey and um, we've taken them back a few times uh, to Palestine. They've seen the reality uh, firsthand and um, it did really affect them, uh, and that's why my children are activists for the cause of Palestine. Um, uh, yeah, and currently we're very involved in the New Jersey uh, Muslim community. Um, I am involved in uh, the Central Jersey community. Then my daughters are involved in other places within uh, New Jersey. I finished. Uh, PhD in education, educational research uh, from my university. And then I worked for 15 years at a company here in Princeton, New Jersey. And then after 15 years, I left that company and I decided to do my independent uh, work in real estate. Um, I decided to do that because it gives me more autonomy. I can uh, control my own schedule. Um, I can get involved in any activity I want to, um, basically working around my uh, my actual work schedule. And, um, you know, it allows me to do things with the family that typically is harder to do when I have a nine-to-five job. And uh, I would have to say again, uh, I am not just lightly involved, but I'm very involved with uh, a lot of community activities uh, throughout Central Jersey. Um, and that varies from, uh, could be lectures, uh, presentations, um, organizing events, uh, activism, uh, interfaith discussions, uh, giving uh, khutbas, sermons at uh, local mosques, masajid, and, you know, other things uh, within the community. So that's uh, something about me. I have, I do have four children. Two of them have finished college already. Uh, they went to Rutgers University, uh, which is a school that I really respect and love. They finished, and then they both, my oldest two children, are married. 
Um, then I have uh, two other children. They're still uh, doing education. Uh, and they haven't gone to college yet. That's perfect. Thank you. One of the other things I would like you to touch upon a little bit is as far as advocating online, what are the best tools or resources that people should keep in mind when they are talking about Palestine and when they are talking uh, and trying to amplify Palestinian voices? Well, if I think in the current climate we have, um, considering what is happening in Palestine, the extreme, uh, extreme uh, attacks um, that are happening on Gaza and also uh, on the West Bank too, because the you know West Bank is calmer than Gaza, but there, there's a lot that is going on. People's land is being taken, homes being demolished. People being uh, rounded up and taken to jail, Israeli jails, as political prisoners. Um, uh, and just uh, restriction of movement and so on. Um, obviously, in Gaza, it's much more intense, where, as I mentioned earlier, bombing is everywhere. No place in Gaza is safe. A lot of suffering and a lot of casualties and so on. I think people they really need to be involved with political activism where they reach out to their congressmen and congresswomen and senators, uh, governors, uh, White House, and uh, demand uh, uh, ceasefire, stop being the hostilities, uh, giving the Palestinians their rights, uh, treating them as uh, any other sovereign nation and any other uh, people uh, in the world. And um, that is important for us, especially if you if uh, you live in the U.S., because the U.S. has a lot of influence on the conflict. And if there is one country in the world that can change what is going on in the on the ground in Gaza and Palestine, it is the United States. Uh, so it's very important to join uh, political activism, whether calling or writing or protesting or meeting with um, political representatives. I had uh, a meeting yesterday with uh, one political representative from the uh, from the Congress, and uh, there were like about 15 other people with me, and it was very uh, positive, successful. So we were very glad that we did it. So um, those uh, meetings uh, are important. Um, reaching out, I have been calling, uh, you know, senators, and, uh, representatives, so on. Um, it's important. Um, People sometimes underestimate the power of being involved. They think it's not going to change anything, but that is really not true. I believe it does make a difference, especially if many people are doing the same thing. 
if one or two people are doing it, it may not uh, produce much results. Or, however, if a large group is doing it, is it becomes very important. Um, tomorrow, for example, today and tomorrow, there is um, an interfaith uh, drive uh, where we are uh, sending emails and letters and calling on uh, our senator here in New Jersey, Corey Booker, to immediately request a ceasefire. And that is, uh, the people who are doing this are, uh, as I said, an interfaith group, Muslim, Christians, and Jews. Um, when we unite like that and in big numbers, uh, we believe that makes a difference. Uh, there is no doubt. So I ask people to be involved. Um, we should not be living just for ourselves. Uh, Prophet Muhammad, uh, peace be upon him, said that if you see a wrong happening around you, then you should try to change it. With your hand, if you can, if you can't, with your hand, you should try to change it with your tongue, you know, speaking against uh, the wrong and the injustice. And if you can't do it, you cannot make a change with your hand, physical change, um, and you cannot make a change just by speaking about it, then at least you should, uh, 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 you should not accept it by your heart. So your heart should be rejecting such uh, act of injustice. And then he said that that is the least of faith, uh, the least of iman, the least, the least amount of faith that you can have if you just reject that injustice in your heart. Now, in the United States, uh, we can do things that many in many other places cannot be done. Um, we definitely can speak out. Uh, we have, uh, we are guaranteed uh, freedom of speech, obviously, as long as we do not incite uh, violence um, or call for committing violence. Uh, as long as that is not the case, then yes, uh, speaking out and speaking up against things is very important. Now, uh, physical change, uh, yeah, I mean, like if I see something, uh, you know, uh, you know, that if I see somebody, for example, doing something wrong, I can try to stop them, you know, as long as my response is appropriate, you know, obviously. But anyways, so the point here is that we really should not be living just for ourselves. Uh, the ultimate goal uh, the, the reason, one of the main reasons we have been entrusted by God, Allah Almighty, uh, to be on this earth is uh, that we represent Allah on this earth. Um, so if, uh, and that goes to the fact that we're not really living just for ourselves. We're not being selfish. You know, our prophet was never selfish. He gave up his time. He uh, uh, almost gave up all of his pleasures uh, in order to serve the community and in order to make sure that uh, justice is established and in order to make sure that just injustice is uh, being uh, taken away from people and so on. So that's what we should be doing. Again, we should be involved. We should be active. And um, I, uh, you know, I 
believe that the cause of Palestine is very, very important. We should all be involved in. You know, now if somebody says, you know what, I can do more for another cause, that is fine. Go ahead, do it, as long as you're working on a good and a noble cause. But I would say, whatever cause you're working on, try to give some of your time for the cause of Palestine. Because that's very important, especially for the whole world, I would say. This is the Holy Land, but also for us, especially for us as Muslims, uh, and uh, especially when there is a lot of injustice that is being committed there. Yeah, and speaking of, do you feel like one of the things that are more tangible actions that Muslim youth can do, or even other people, is to boycott brands that are supporting Israel? Or do you feel like boycotting them all might be difficult to do? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, yes, um, I think that is important. It's, you know, anytime, you know, for me, if I see somebody doing something wrong, if I see a company doing something wrong, then I just boycott that company. Now, obviously, we cannot boycott every uh, single company on the face of the planet. So our boycott should be targeted uh, to, you know, and focus on uh, companies uh, that cause the most harm. Um, or, um, you know, uh, for example, we know that here in the U.S. that there is a lot of uh, deeds. Uh, mid, uh, the brand is called Medjool Deeds. Um, a lot of it comes from land that was taken away from its own uh, people in Palestine. And that land is under the control of Israel. And the grow these date uh, trees, then they, then they export them to the U.S. and other places. So obviously, I am not going to buy uh, those dates. Uh, that's important. Um, uh, you know, I, especially that there are other options. You know, we have uh, U.S. grown uh, dates. Uh, I, I know same brand, uh, U.S. grown. Why not? I go with that. Um, or uh, dates coming from a country that is not really um, um, implementing an apartheid system and so on. So that is important. Um, I usually tell people, um, anything you buy, you really know, need to know where it's coming from. Um, uh, for safety and health reasons, but also, also for uh, uh, justice reasons. You don't want to be buying a product that is uh, produced by an entity that is uh, practicing effort. So that's important. Now, uh, as I said, we can't really boycott everything. So I would choose uh, maybe like, you know, five, uh, five items or five products or five companies um, that I will not uh, uh, do business with. Now, to make it easier on us, I would just go to BDS, uh, BDS movement, uh, uh, boycott, divest, um, and sanctions. That's uh, movement. Just go to their website, BDS, um, and uh, look at what they're suggesting. Uh, so usually they, they suggest a few um, products or a few, um, yeah, typically a few products or a few companies. They will mention them, and if if everybody uh, uh, participates in boycotting those, then you know 
you know, we would see results. And again, I would, as I, I'm going to just say this, you know, the reason we do this is because we want things to change. We want justice to be established. We want people to be given uh, their rights. That's all. It's not like we hate somebody or we hate a group of people or, or, or a country or anything like that. We just want to make sure that we are practicing, this is what we call nonviolent uh, uh, resistance. And it's uh, people have done it in other places in South Africa. People did boycott certain things in South Africa until the apartheid regime was uh, taken down. So that is important. Thank you so much for your time and for doing this. Thank you. I just want to add one thing. Um, uh, my connection to Palestine and to Gaza has not uh, has never uh, gone away uh, because for a number of reasons. One is that it is my uh, this is the homeland that I grew up in, um, but also I have a lot of relatives here, uh, both me and my wife. So we have our brothers and sisters and uncles, aunts, uh, cousins, nephews, nieces, um, extended family systems. So we have a lot of uh, people that uh, are uh, beloved to us and dear to our hearts that uh, live there. And unfortunately, uh, right now, they're uh, living through very difficult uh, circumstances. And um, that has taken a toll on us because we're living here um, yes, you know, we're living in peace and security, and that's something that we value and we're grateful for. But it's almost like we feel guilty that we're eating and we're, we're, you know, we're living a normal life when they are not, when they're suffering so much. So, um, um, you know, yeah, so that's something, just wanted to make sure that it's understood. I mean, my, our connection to Palestine is very, very, very strong. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. No problem. And, uh, and um, I hope this will uh, be beneficial for people. And again, I do encourage people to learn more, uh, read, uh, read, and read a good book. And do you have any book I recommendations? Uh, yes. Let me just look something up here. Um, uh, the, yeah, what, what is important is that, uh, people read a book that is not biased, uh, not biased, uh, a book that is, uh, balanced. And, um, you know, some of those books are even, you know, you might, they might be written by, uh, a non-Palestinian, obviously. Um, uh, so it is important that we look at uh, sources. Uh, leave me, I'm just trying to pull up. 100 Years War on Palestine. Again, the 100 Years War on Palestine. And the author is Rashid Khalidi. Um, I believe he is, uh, or at least he was, um, a professor at Columbia. Uh, then there is a book called Palestine, Peace, Not Apartheid, and that's actually written by Jimmy Carter, former 
president, uh, Jimmy Carter. So those two books uh, should be good. Uh, the Hundred Years War on Palestine by Rashid Khalidi. And um, and Rashid Khalidi, the, his last name is K-H-A-L-I-D-I. His first name is R-A-S-H-I-D. Um, Palestine, peace, not apartheid. That is uh, a former president, Jimmy Carter. Uh, those are actually, uh, you know, two books that, that come to my mind at this point. Uh, there are other few books, but again, it's important for people to make sure that they're reading a book uh, with uh, uh, that is balanced and uh, that's not, uh, you know, uh, sending propaganda. Now, I could, I can also suggest a couple of websites. There is a website called Palestine Remembered. Um, if you just Google Palestine Remembered, uh, you will come up with that website. It's, uh, it has a lot of information about the history of Palestine and about um, what we call Nakba, that's the catastrophe in English. Uh, that's when uh, uh, Palestinians uh, lost their homeland in 1948. Uh, there is also um, a website called If Americans Knew. Uh, new, like, you know, from no, new. Uh, so it is if Americans new, K-N-E-W, uh, if Americans new, one word, uh, that, uh, I believe that org, um, but you can Google that. That's also a good website, has spent a lot of time in Palestine, and she's very uh, compassionate and, and passionate, very passionate about the Palestinian cause and about establishing peace in Palestine. Uh, so that's another website that I would suggest um, uh, looking at. Now, in terms of the news, um, unfortunately, uh, a lot of uh, Western media outlets are biased when it comes to the cause of Palestine. So I would suggest, um, you know, uh, uh, looking at Al Jazeera, uh, whether it's Arabic or English, um, aljazeera.com, uh, that's the English one, aljazeera.net, that's the Arabic one. So that would be a good uh, source of news international news. I hope this is... Is there anything people should know before going to a protest? Any safety precautions or anything they should be cautious about? Definitely. Uh, so when we go to a protest, our goal is to be very peaceful. Uh, we're not there to cause any trouble. We're not there to um, cause any harm uh, to whether to the environment we're in. Like you know, we're we're not there to break anything. Uh, we're not there to argue with with anybody or get into any physical fight or anything like that. So what I've seen recently is that uh, sometimes some people who are against the cause of Palestine. They will come to the protest to instigate people and to pit a fight. So I would say if somebody sees that, they would need to back off, uh, not get involved. And typically there is police in, uh, in, is pres uh, present there. So they would go and tell the police that, you know, uh, some people are trying to do something like this and let the police handle it. Um, but also in the end, uh, I would also say uh, leave the place as it was before or even nicer. So, like, you know, don't uh, throw your 
um, signs here or there, you know, um, just make sure that the piece that the, the, the place that you put tested in is clean and neat, uh, because that actually gives um, a good uh, impression about us. But I think uh, it's very important to be uh, organized, to be um, uh, uh, as polite as possible. Obviously, if somebody comes to you and they're discussing things, you can discuss. But if it gets heated up, just leave them alone or have somebody who is um, uh, knowledgeable and has the experience to handle that situation. Uh, typically, typically, those things don't happen, but you just want to be careful. In case they happen, you want to conduct yourself in uh, in a way that will not be unlawful. You don't want to break the law, definitely. You don't want to uh, incite violence. You don't want to uh, do any physical, uh, get into any physical fight, anything like that. And um, you just want uh, your uh, yourself to uh, represent the cause of Palestine in a civilized manner even if the other person on the other side may not be civilized. That was good. Thank you. This was very helpful. I was also wondering if you have any books, uh, fictional books by Palestinian authors for young readers that you'd recommend? There is a fictional book. Um, I think it's called Mornings in Janine. Uh, let me just look it up very quickly. Um, it's uh, it's a uh, historical uh, fictional book, meaning that uh, it was yeah mornings in Janine. It, it was based on an actual story, but it's still fiction. Mornings in Janine, and Janine is basically a town in Palestine in the West Bank, and it's spelled as J E N I N. Um, that would be a good. Uh, a fictional book to uh, to actually look at. For slightly older uh, youth, would you recommend The Beauty of Your Face by Sarah Mustafa? Uh, I'm sorry, the question again? For slightly older readers who uh, want to read a fictional book about Palestine, would The Beauty of Your Face by Sarah Mustafa be a good one? I am not really familiar with that. It's uh, about but... a Palestinian American. Uh, the author is a Muslim Palestinian American. Possibly, I I just I just don't know it, so I can't really comment on it at this point. Sounds good, inshallah. So, typically for kids, would you at what age would you recommend educating them about Palestine? And do you have any resources yeah, that okay, you'd recommend? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the age. I mean, it, it can, um, you, I would start with Masjid al-Aqsa. Uh, Masjid al-Aqsa is very, very holy, the third holiest site for Muslims. So that's very important to teach them about Masjid al-Aqsa. Uh, its history, you know, uh, you know, uh, its importance, um, you know, how it looks, you know, pictures, uh, location, map. And then from there, I would go uh, further to uh, the old city of Jerusalem, which is about one, it's just, it's not huge, it's one square kilometer, 
And that is the Jerusalem that is mentioned usually in ancient books. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a, a city, an old city that is walled in, and it has eight gates. Um, so in the past, when there was a war or something, they would just close the gates, and then you have huge walls around the city, and then the invading army would not be able to get in and, um, you know, spend weeks and months out there, and a lot of times they end up leaving. Uh, so, you know, uh, teaching them about Masjid Aqsa, about uh, the old city of Jerusalem, and then maybe uh, some uh, about, uh, I love the history when Muslims took control of Jerusalem, when they came, and the city was uh, basically uh, closed off, and they could not get in, but they uh, surrounded the city, and uh, they kept uh you know, they camped basically around it. Uh, their goal was to open up the city um, and uh, establish Masjid Al-Aqsa as a place for Muslims to pray uh, because it had been mentioned in the Quran and, and, and so on. And um, uh, finally, the Christian uh, patriarch uh, who was in control of the city uh, told them, I will let you in if you bring your leader. And their leader was, his name was Omar, Omar Khattab. Khattab and he uh, entered the city peacefully. And uh, the key of the city was handed to him uh, by the Christian uh, community and their patriarch. And then uh, he promised them to protect them and keep them safe and keep their places of worship and churches safe. And that's exactly what happened. And since then, uh, as neighbors, uh, they're almost like as one family. In fact, the holiest church uh, in uh, in the holiest church for Christians, which is located in the old city of Jerusalem, and it's called in Arabic, it's called Kanisa Tukiyama in English, uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Uh, that church uh, is being cared for by a Muslim family, and it has been cared for by Muslims for the past uh, 1,400 years since the Muslims entered uh, Jerusalem. They are the ones who take care of that church. They're the ones who hold the key for that church. Um, and there's a lot of mutual respect between Muslims and uh, Christians uh, there. Uh, now, uh, Muslims also, uh, Muslims, Christians, and Jews, they live uh, peacefully in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem until, unfortunately, uh, the state of Israel was established, and that's when the hostilities started because um, um, Jews were uh, given the upper hand by the state, and uh, uh, Christians and Muslims were became uh, occupied, second-class citizens, and so on. So, um, uh, yeah. So I would say it's it's great to uh, to teach about to start. Uh, uh, you know, teaching about the history of Jerusalem, the history of uh, Masjid Al-Aqsa, and, uh, you know, again, based on the age, uh, you know, that the details can can be increased. And if it's like, for example, preschoolers, you know, all what they can do is like, you know, paint uh, Masjid Al-Aqsa, pictures of Masjid mosques that are there and so on. Uh, and then, you know, uh, things can become more detailed based on their age.
Sounds good. Jazakallah khair. And always, always, when uh, talking about uh, Masjid Aqsa, it's important to also go over the story of the Isra and Al-Mi'raj. That's the, my journey, journey that the Prophet وسلم, peace be upon him, took uh, from Mecca to Bayt uh, al-Maqdis, uh, Jerusalem, and then ended up going up to the heavens uh, where the prayers, the Muslim prayers, was established. Then he came back, uh, you know, to earth, again going back to Mecca through uh, Jerusalem. Um, and then he did actually stop at uh, Masjid al-Aqsa and he prayed there with all the prophets. So all of that, that's an, a very important story, of course, to go over with the children. And again, the details can vary based on the age here. Um, and that shows the importance of Masjid Aqsa, shows the importance of uh, uh, Jerusalem um, in our faith. Okay, thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. I am going to end the recording. Thank you for tuning in to today's Raise Your Words podcast episode. If you like this episode or this kind of content, make sure to stay updated on the Raise Your Words Instagram page. So that's at Raise Your Words Pod, at Raise Your Words Pod. Stay tuned for more.